1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we'll be in our text this morning. And as he said, I'm from California. And so you're like, yeah, you look like you're from California. Yeah, that's what you expect. So um, I'm blessed to be down here yesterday. We took a little trip in the great weather. It seems like the California weather followed us here. Um, yesterday was a great day. And so we went down to Branson and walked around and it was pretty cool. And so I am definitely excited to be out here uh, with you this morning. And uh, the church I go to is Harvest Christian Fellowship, and I'm a pastor on staff with Greg Laurie is his name. But uh, how about we open a word of prayer and ask that the Lord would show up and speak to our hearts this morning. So, Jesus, I thank you for such a great morning uh, so far. Lord, we have this opportunity to worship you, and now it's time to hear from you. Jesus, I know there are plenty of people in here that have walked in these doors with a lot of burdens and things going on in their life. And I pray that right now, God, you would speak to them that they would hear from you, and that, Lord, they would leave this place different than they came in, that they would go out these doors knowing that they've met with you. So, Jesus, we need you here, and we ask you again to minister to our hearts. It's in your name we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Well, the title of the message this morning is Forward Together, and it's all about the idea of working as a unit, as a team, as one for the purpose of going together, obviously as a church, toward the glory of God. Now, it's been said the Christian life is not a sprint, but rather it's a marathon. It doesn't really matter how fast you are out of the gate, as it is important for you to first cross the finish line. You know, the Christian life, it's not a a short hike. Rather, it's like the long, grueling climb. You know, it's difficult, it's trying, it's steep and dangerous. It takes a lot of effort. It, I would say, could be compared to climbing Mount Everest. I'm not sure if you've ever you know, looked up any stats on Mount Everest or not, but it is the largest mountain okay, on planet Earth. It has a very high altitude of 29,000 feet. Now, on the way over here, I think our plane was flying at 30,000 feet. So, you know, like you're right up there with the airplanes, you know, on top of Mount Everest. Now, Man has tried to build some big structures. You know, we've got like Empire State Building and some other things. And here they are in comparison to what God can do with ease. You know, so you've got Empire State, the Burj Khalifa, which is in Dubai, the largest, you know, like single tower. Uh, but then you've got Mount Everest in comparison. And, you know, God's just like, ha ha, weak. Good try. The temperatures on top of Mount Everest it's gotten to negative 90 degrees. That's cold, all right? Like, I'm from California, and 90 degrees is cold. So, I mean, this is negative 90. Hurricane force winds, 118 miles an hour. The oxygen is a third of what it is here below. Uh, The first man to ever ascend the mount, ever to get on top, would be a guy named Edmund, and it was in 1953. First woman, her name was Junko, in 1975. It's like, that's a... Great name for her. Uh, the youngest person to ever climb the mount was actually 13 years old. And that was just recently, in 2010. The oldest, he was 80 years old. Is anybody 80 years old in here? No. Okay, I mean, like, <laughs> 80. I mean, that's like, wow, okay. Now, it takes 40 days to climb to the top of Mount Everest. You need to acclimate to the weather as well as to... Just the different levels of oxygen that your body needs, you know, to survive. The largest team to ever have attempted to summit 
Everest was actually a group of Chinese. And there were 410 of them. This guy kind of a picture of them. Now, can you imagine being in the middle and you're like, you slip? Because you're all tied together, right? So they're all linked in, tied together so that nobody can, you know, fall off the mountain. But I would be the one in the middle, like, ah, you know, like slipping away. It's crazy. Now, the person in the lead is the one that's like the pace setter. They're the one that's leaving the foot tracks in the snow. This is where you're supposed to be going. This is where you should step or not step. But it's interesting when you're climbing in a group, What's required here is to understand that the slowest member is actually the fastest. You're only as fast as your your slowest teammate. You know, you're all tied together. And so when you are there, it's important that you keep in mind who you're climbing with. Now, as a church, we are all tied together. We're linked in arm in arm as the body of Christ. And this is local and global. Now, local, you here at Calvary Chapel... You know, you are linked together as one. You're in the family of God together. You know, whether you like it or not, I know there are weird siblings that we have in our normal family, and there's some weird siblings here. You know, that's what happens in every church back home. I've got some interesting blood-related okay, people there through the blood of Christ related. I'm like, okay, it's all right. But we're related to each other locally, but also globally. Did you know that? So congregations in other parts of the world We are all linked as one. We're tied as a team together. Now, Christianity needs to really be viewed in this light because it's not, well, like a Lone Ranger mentality. You can't do Christianity on your own. God has made it where we need each other. You belong to this setting here. This is where you should, you know, find your home as a believer. And that is the way it's supposed to be. It's a group effort. And because we're united as one, The weakest member here sets the pace. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link, if you think about it. So if one member is hurting, the other members hurt as well. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, uh, the rest, well, they're glad. It's kind of like you're walking through the night and you step on a Lego in the middle of the night. You know, those God-forsaken little devices and... I mean, there's no pain like a Lego, you know, and so it, your your foot hurts, everything hurts, or if you stub your toe in the middle of the night, you know, you kind of kick like the dresser or something. It's horrible, you know, like I'd rather break an arm, okay, than kick with my pinky toe on something. One part hurts, the rest of the body hurts. And so when one of you are going through something, it impacts the rest of the church. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Because you're that interconnected, you know each other. And you're involved in each other's lives. And so when one person is down, the rest, well, they're there with you. And they're there to encourage you. And one person is happy, the rest, well, they're, they're rejoicing with you. That's the church. This is the way it's supposed to work at its apex. And so because the Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon, it's not a little hike, but it's a huge climb, the weak links are exposed when the going gets tough. When life gets tough, which it does get tough, right? There are bad days, bad weeks, bad months, bad years that we encounter where it seems like the storm of life doesn't part. It's there. And you're like, oh, is it ever going to end? This is and you have things that happen in your life and you don't know why. And you're just like, God, this is just too much. And well, it kind of reveals where your faith is at this morning from our text. I want to show you keeping with this climbing analogy, five potential climbers that could slow down. Or potentially hurt this team here locally. And what I want you to do is kind of listen 
And if you find yourself being identified from the text, I want you to listen to the instructions that God's going to give you today. And I really think maybe God brought me from California just to remind you of some of these sweet truths. Because God knows what's going on in your life. He cares about you this much. And he really wants to help you follow him. So here in our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I want to read it to you and then we will dive right in. Starting in verse 14, here's what Paul the Apostle says. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Okay, so he starts out writing to this church, okay, the the church of Thessalonica. This was like a, a baby church that had just kind of gotten off the ground. They're running about three weeks strong. And then Paul, the leader, okay, the pastor, he takes off. And so they're like three weeks old in the Lord. And they're like, oh, what do we do? Paul writes a letter to give them instructions. Paul kind of starts identifying some potential people in the congregation. That could be a problem or could potentially be a, an issue in the future. And so here he identifies five individuals and he gives instructions on what to do with them. So here's the pastor in a loving way saying, hey, listen, guys, if this happens, this is what I want you to do. Now, he says it here in a very like exhortive way. Now, we exhort you, brothers. So this is a loving admonition. This is Paul saying, hey, uh, coach, blow the whistle. Brr, huddle, huddle. Come here, come here, come here. And so he calls the whole family together. Family meeting. We got to talk about this. And so it's a loving shepherd. Paul is saying, I, I really want to help you. I really want to be, uh, you know, just a great assistant to you here. And you have to pay attention to my instructions. So Paul's making sure all eyes are on him. He's being a good pastor. And if you do this, it'll work for you. It'll be good for you and for all is what it ends there in verse 15. Now, the first thing that he says here, you know, he says to the number one, warn those who are unruly. Warn those who are unruly. So the first climber that Paul identifies, the first potential issue, I call them the wanderer. There are five climbers, and this is the list of the climbers. They are, number one, the wanderer. Number two, the worn out. Three, the weak climber. Four, the worn thin. And five, the wounded. The wounded climber. So he starts out here talking about the first the wanderer. Verse 14, warn those who are unruly. Now that word unruly really means idle or out of step. Someone that's out of line. So this wanderer uh, person, if we were to think of a wanderer, this is what they would look like in real life. They would call themselves a Christian. You know, they're wearing the jersey, but really they're probably not on the team. They're a Christian in word only, not necessarily in work. They don't really show it, you know, in their secret life. They're not really pursuing God like they should, not reading your Bible, not praying. You know, you come to church, but your heart really isn't in it. You find yourself not thinking about God throughout the week. You're distracted very easily, uh, just taken away from your relationship with the Lord. Maybe lazy or apathetic would describe, you know, your intimate time with God. It's just absent. It's not really there. If a hidden camera were to follow, it would reveal that, yeah, it's probably not true. 
they're here, but they're not here. Like this morning, you're like, oh, where's the donuts at? You know, I'm hungry. You know, like you're not even thinking or really paying attention. But, you know, and I kind of even heard this is about husbands. Uh, You know, we had the couple's dinner on Friday night. And I, I heard this funny thing. Husbands are the best people to share secrets with because they'll never tell anyone because they're not even listening. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, if we could picture this wanderer, this person climbing, here's what would be going on. You can picture the long line of people all tied together. The wanderer is the one with the attitude problem. Okay, they're the one that kind of lets go. They're not pulling their own weight. They're kind of dragging their feet a little bit. Got a little attitude chip on the shoulder. You know, the wander, like whatever, kind of kicking dirt in people's eyes and throwing snowballs, hitting people in the back of the head. This is the wanderer, you know, while climbing. And they're definitely out of line. They're out of hand. And they're talking annoyingly, complaining, swinging around. They're in their own world. And everybody's just like sick and tired of the wanderer. Yeah, and thankfully, we're told what to do with this type of person. What we'd like to do is kick them off, like just cut the rope, let them go. You know, like don't come back to church. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, like this is what we typically would want to do with these type of people. But we're told what, well, rather we should do. It says there in the text to warn those who are unruly. That word warn means admonish or to instruct. And if we could do that in real time, it would be you as a loving person come up along that friend of yours and saying, hey, I need to be honest. You know, lately, I just have to say, I haven't seen Jesus in you. I mean, the things that you've been talking about, you've been joking about, the things you've been looking at, the way you've been acting at work or in your own time. And I, I just have to say, if you continue down this road, it's, it's not going to be good. And I tell you this out of love. Like, these guardrails are here to keep you safe, you know, on the mountain. And it seems like you're you're inching closer and closer, you know, to diving off. And my question is like, why aren't you doing what you should be doing? Why don't you come back to church? Why aren't you, you know, reading your Bible? Why don't we read the Bible together? You're just potentially hurting yourself and also the team. The wanderer should be warned. The second climber we're given here in the text says here, comfort the faint hearted. And I call this the worn out climber, the worn out climber, comfort, the faint hearted, the real life description of the worn out climber is someone that's so focused, working hard, you're resisting temptation, you're staying away from the wrong influences, you've been faithful, reading your Bible and praying, life has been great with the Lord. You're worshiping here in the morning and you just be like, I got to go to both services. I have to serve at the church. I'm working in children's ministry. I'm parking cars. I'm doing everything. This is the, the person that everything is great. You're there. But then all of a sudden you start to feel over time a little worn out. You kind of feel like the shoulders start to just, ah, oh, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just getting tired. You know, like it's been awesome and I serve so much and I give so much, but I kind of feel in a dry season, something transpires where you feel a little like you're in the desert spiritually. Your time with the Lord starts to dry up. You feel busier than normal. Your Jesus time is shallow. You kind of lose your joy. The worn out climber. And I recently had a text message that was sent to me from a worn out climber. It said this. The issue is this. My faith has been on trial for a couple months, I think now. I've really been struggling with doubt and believing and everything. It scares me. I feel like my faith is struggling. I've come close to God a few times in the midst of trials, 
But I feel like my relationship with them has become numb or callous, like you've preached before. I've been on fire for the Lord for a long time, and well, now I just don't feel that assurance or total belief anymore. I don't know why. I've heard sermons about doubting being the factor of faith, but it scares me. I feel like my heart needs to be lit up again. My eyes need to be reopened to his glory. Does that describe you today? Maybe feeling just a little cold, a little worn out. Now, while climbing, we can picture this person. They're sore. They're worn out. This climber is kind of like, oh, man, my arms are hurting. You know, like my legs, my calves, my goodness. You know, the, this worn out climber is like asking the person next to them, are you tired? Like, can you, like, can you hold this for me? You know, my backpack, it is, whoo, this, ah, the snow is so deep. And the, the worn out climber looks up and like, we haven't even gone that far. I mean, we've got so much further to go. And they turn around. We just started. What in the world? Why am I so tired? Why am I so worn out? I've been Oh, I just, I don't know what to do. Maybe can I just sit down and like, wait, wait, can, can we sit down a little bit? Can we take a break? My hands and my back and I kind of lose my drive where I'm losing steam. I feel just worn out. Well, we're told what to do with those. If you feel worn out this morning, this is what the Bible tells us to do. It says comfort those that are faint hearted to comfort. Now, really, that word comfort means to encourage. Those it might be in your translation, it uses the word timid. The word encourage means to console or comfort, to reassure, cause them to feel strengthened. So for those of you feeling worn out, it's saying, hey, it's going to be all right. I know it seems like we haven't gone anywhere yet, but don't give up. Don't give up just yet. Keep pressing on. You know, let me let me take something for you. Let me take a little bit of that weight. You know, and they're like, oh, thanks so much. I needed that. Yeah, I just want to, you know, walk with you, encourage you. You know, the storm is going to part. You know, the, the clouds are there, but the sun's coming through. Heaven is one day. Jesus isn't going to leave you. He's walking with you through this. He hears your prayers. You're not alone. He sees your tears. Like this person just needs to be in, in, encouraged, comforted. You know, it's reminding them that we're almost there. And it's not time to give up. What we do as believers is we speak the truth of God to them. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary in doing good. For if you don't lose heart, you will reap in due season. Oh, you tell them, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up just yet. And it reminds me of that story of that girl named Florence Chadwick. She was one of the first that attempted to swim between Southern California in a nearby island called Catalina. It's a 26-mile swim. And so Florence set out in 1952 to swim the 26 miles uh, between the two. And as she began, she was flanked by small boats, and there were sharks that were coming up. She was swimming in a jellyfish. It said her face got paralyzed because of so many jellyfish that she ran into. And, uh, and so she had, like, a special, like, face mask that she wore just so that the jellyfish wouldn't, uh, like, completely paralyze her. But she swam... Uh, for 15 hours thick. I mean, long. I mean, just 15. I can't even swim 15 minutes. Okay, like 15 hours is a long time to swim. And so as she was swimming, a thick cloud settled in a fog, and she couldn't see where she was going. And so Florence, you know, despite being really tired, you know, she told her mom that was in one of the boats that she felt like she wanted to give up, and her mom said, keep in there. And so she swam for another full hour. But... 
She asked to be taken out of the water, and she was. The problem was this. When she got out of the water in the boat, she gave up. The fog cleared, and she found out that she was only a half a mile away from Catalina. She was almost there. She could see the coastline right in front of her. She had said in an interview later, if I would only been able to see the coastline, I would have never gave up. I think so often what happens is we've got things that come in our life that distract us from what's true. We've got situations and trials that happen. You get distracted and you just, you're at that spot. The only thing you can see is the hurt or the pain or the confusion. You know, you're, you're worried and, and anxious and I just, I can't do this anymore. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up yet. You know, you may feel strong, but it was the job that, you lost, or the sickness, or depression, the anxiety, maybe some emotional pain, maybe thoughts of suicide. History is full of people who almost gave up, but they then refocused. And they were able to reach what they were trying to accomplish. And this is what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is taking it one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week or next year. Take it one day at a time. The Lord will give you the strength you need for today. He will be your supply. I promise he will come in. And so don't give up. Don't give in. The Lord sees you. You're loved. You're appreciated. And you are a crucial aspect to this team. We're moving forward together. And this is where you're supposed to be. All right. The third climber that we're given. The third potential climber is the weak climber. And this is what it says. Exhort. The brethren, warn those unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Uphold those that are weak. Now, this word kind of means to take tender care of those that are weak. And this word weak is better defined as unable, helpless, not strong because of an illness. You know, most commentators agree that this isn't like a weak because they're just tired, but more of like a comparison, if you get the flu... You know, you're like out on the couch all week long. You're like, oh, bring me some soup. You know, my hair hurts. It seems like everything hurts when you get the flu. You know, and so you're, you're taken out of the game. You can't go to work. You can't, you know, take care of anything around the house. You just lay there, you know, and you just eat little soda crackers. Like, you know, and that's all you do. And, and you're taken out. And this idea is being, I think, brought to the surface here, but compared to sin. Sin has a way of making you spiritually weak, like the flu does to your, your normal body. When you are involved in some type of transgression or sin, it has a way of taking you out of the game. It has a way of affecting your relationship with God. And so here what's implied in the Greek is a moral weakness, a sin that's come in. And to really understand this, it would be, well, like everything's been going well in your life. Life has been going great. You're here in Springfield. You come to church at Calvary. You know, you're enjoying the job. But then obviously maybe you get a new job or a transfer. And things kind of change up a little bit. You get some new friends and they are a bad influence. And you start talking about things and laughing at things and doing things that you didn't used to do. All of a sudden, maybe drinking with them or talking about inappropriate things. You just kind of find your heart starting to drift because of sin that comes in. Or a new sport now all of a sudden it's casually drinking turns into more drinking on the weekends. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself out of control. Maybe it's a secret sin that nobody knows about. 
You know, you get some new device or some type of thing on the Internet and you find yourself looking at what you're not supposed to. And you find yourself unable to get out, trapped. And you look back and you're like, how did I get here? Like, how did I get this far away from God? You know, and it never used to be like this. My schedule got a little busier and I just didn't find my way to church. And all of a sudden my friends are changed. And, you know, it's strange how it happens. But sin has a way of separating you from the Lord. And it's not as a believer that sin separates you positionally, but relationally. You know, it's not that God isn't uh, still loving you and walking with you. He's not abandoned you. But there's a sense of union and communion. My union with God is secure, but my communion with God is like a, a dropped cell phone call. You know, I still know him, but it seems like maybe sin has come in and cut the line. You know, your heart has been getting colder to God, hasn't it? Maybe you remember a time that you were on fire with God. You were doing your devotions and you were like, oh man, Jesus is right here. I know it. I mean, he's talking to me and his word comes alive and you're here worshiping. You're like, I remember those days. I remember those sweet times with Jesus, but lately you've been feeling weak and you doubt your relationship with God and you even feel maybe fate coming to church. You can't seem to break sin's hold on your life. This climber is a climber that's distracted. They are not prepared. They like left their pickaxe at home. Like, oh man, I left my, I don't even have my spikes on my shoes. You know, they're slipping around and they're a mess. Everything's falling out of their bag. And, you know, people are like, hey, oh, you dropped this back here. You know, hey, what are you doing? You know, and so they just seem everywhere. They seem like their mind is, is on other things. You know, they're hurting the group. They can't go on. They want to give up. Their hands are soft, falling off the cliff, you know, like almost about to let go. They're, they got these lame excuses and they're stubborn. I got it. I got it. I can handle this. You know, I just, just give me a few seconds. And this type of climber is really about to damage not only the team, but their own lives. And we're told what to do with them. And it's not cut the line. Okay? It's not let them go. We're told here to uphold the weak. Uphold. This is the idea of take tender care. It means to hold firmly, to grab onto, to grasp tightly, to support, to be the strong arm that's needed. The team is supposed to recognize and then come around them and assist to give what is needed. It reminds me of Galatians 6.1 where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Those that are strong, helping the weak. Those that are believers, hunting down those backslidden saints. Those people that got caught up in the wrong thing. Where we go hunt them out and we help them. And bring them back to where they're supposed to be. We grab them. And we be the strength that they so desperately need. Now, we do this by purposely getting involved in people's lives. You know, you've been coming to church for a long time, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of people come and go. As a believer, you should be hunting those people out. Maybe they got in a bad relationship, or maybe they took a job or got busy. We're to not give up on these people. We're to hunt them out and, and stay on top of them. Kind of like there was a guy that used to come to our church back in Riverside. His name was Ray. And Ray used to serve at every ministry. He was there almost like every day of the week. He was that type of guy. Great guy, servant-hearted. And he was serving in, in 
everything possible. I knew Ray personally, and, and he was a great buddy. All of a sudden, you know, Ray started to struggle with some sins, and he let me know about it. And I kind of counseled him a little bit through it, but Ray's church attendance started to wane. It would be like four days a week, three days a week, one day a week, you know, all of a sudden, like a few times a month, and then all of a sudden, Ray just kind of disappeared. And as a pastor, I hate to say it, but I just kind of let it go. I just was like out of sight, out of mind. And I wasn't, you know, like bitter toward him or anything. I just, you know, had other things to do. And years go by and I've not seen or heard from Ray. All of a sudden, one day I'm in the parking lot and there's Ray. And I'm like, Ray, buddy, what's going on? Where have you been? He's like, oh, you know, I just, I've I've been out and I'm like, well, I'm so glad you're here at church. You know, it's great to see. And he's like, Jason, I got something to tell you. I'm like, what? What's going on? He's like, you know, I definitely was struggling with sin and I got distracted and I walked away. But I just got to ask you a question. Why did you never check in on me? Why did you never call me? Text me? Send me a message on Facebook? A direct message on Instagram? Why did you never take the time to go to my house? You know where I live. You know where my mom lives. Jason, it's like you don't even care about me. I'm gone and you just... Let me go. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, no. Like, I just felt so convicted, like, in that moment. Like, oh, you're right. You're right, Ray. I'm so sorry. He's like, you're a pastor. I'm like, no, no. He's like, but thankfully Jesus didn't give up on me. I'm like, praise God. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Um, he's like, if it weren't for Jesus, you know, I, I would really be gone. And I just kind of thought to myself, man, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And it's really changed the way that I do ministry. And even thinking about this topic, I recently was talking to a guy and I asked him, how long have you been following the Lord? And, you know, what brought you to the Lord? And he slowly opened his wallet. And as I was talking to him, he brought out this little tiny letter that he had in his wallet. And it was all torn and tattered. And I took a picture of it and I have it. And he said, this letter that he has, you know, you can kind of see the picture of it. He said he was walking away from the Lord and somebody from the church came to his house, they brought a sermon, and they wrapped a letter in the sermon, and they dropped it on his porch. And this is what the letter said. Gerald, this was a good study. Listen to it. I was really spoken to, and I'm sure that the Spirit will do the same to you. I hope you're well, and I pray for you every day that he guides you and strengthens you for his great plans that he has for you. I love you, John. He pulled this letter out of his pocket, and he said, it was this letter. It was this letter that Help me see that God loves me, that he's not forgotten about me. And he had this letter in his wallet and he said, I keep this here as a reminder that the church really is a great place to be, that it's full of loving people. And I just can't help how many people used to come to this church that you've let slip, that you've forgotten about. I want to challenge you. We have to help those that are weak. I would challenge you today to go on Facebook or, you know, go to that house or call that person and ask them where they've been. Send them a text, hey, I'm praying for you. I really miss seeing you. How is the family? I want to really challenge you, family, that we would hunt out. We are united and tied together. Don't let them fall between the cracks. You go get that Ray. You go get this Gerald. And you let them know where they belong. Bring them back to church next Sunday. Let them know that they're a valued asset to this team here. So if this is you even today and you feel like you're drifting and you haven't been here in a while, would you speak up and let somebody know? 
And if somebody today lets you know what's going on, you hunt them out. You go to coffee with them or you hang out with them, you pray for them, and you stay on top of them. All right, so this is the third climber. Now, the fourth climber Paul identifies is the worn thin climber. There at the end of verse 14, it says, be patient with all. Be patient with all. Now, the text doesn't mention a specific climber personally or explicitly. It's kind of like a general exhortation, like, hey, y'all, be patient. I... And this idea of patience, I think it's really good because it's apparent there's some disgruntled team members. You know, the worn thin climber is someone that's impatient. They're bugged, frustrated. You know, they've been working really hard, carrying extra weight, but they're kind of fed up. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of sick of this. You know, like, I don't know what's going on, but I just, I've got to tell somebody how upset I am. Real life description. You're faithful, reading your Bible. You're serving in every ministry here. And you've been doing it for years. You set up the chairs. You were in the parking lot. I, you're, you're doing everything. And you're on Facebook posting all these awesome posts about Jesus. And you're, you know, doing all the time stuff on Instagram. And you're texting people you love them. You're sharing your faith around the city. Like this type of climber, awesome. They're doing the great. They're in the lead. They're carrying extra weight. They're putting up with the wanderer, you know, and they're helping out the weak. Like this is a great climber. An asset to the team, but then all of a sudden, along the way, you kind of start to feel used a little bit. Like, you know, nobody told me thanks lately. Like, I set up all those chairs, and nobody said, hey, the lines look good. You know, like, <laughs> I had a kid down there in the children's ministry, threw up all over me, and the mom didn't even care. You know, like, all of a sudden, you kind of start to feel a little like, ah. you know, I mean, a little thank you now and then would be nice. I mean, I put in so much hard work. I, my life is here. I have, you know, how I many years I've been here and I feel a little, you know, they get a little touchy. They get a little frustrated. You can tell their demeanor has changed. They may even start to complain a little bit. You know, well, I didn't see them and I, where have they been? You know, I mean, I was here all alone until 10 o'clock, you know, just closing down the church or, you know, doing this over here and nobody else even around. They get upset about decisions that are made in the church and griping while climbing this person, they're pulling extra weight. As I said, they're in the lead. And they're even listening to the wanderer, you know, and they're, they're helping the wanderer out and they're working hard. They're having to slow down for the slackers, you know, and encourage them. You know, they're having to constantly pour out and pour out and pour out. And all of a sudden, along the way, they just start to, uh, whatever, you know, like I'm just worn thin. And I just kind of go, you know, they just kind of like grunt a little bit and they're stomping through the snow and, and you're just like, woo, stay away, a little snippy snappy up there. You know, watch out for them. Uh, they're backbiting and gossiping. And there's what the exhortation is. It says to be patient. Be patient with all. And maybe that's some of you today. You feel a little impatient. The word patience means long suffering. Suffering long, okay? For a long time, it's okay. Not flying off the handle, putting off anger, being empathetic, understanding. Helpful. Why are you doing it to begin with? The idea is we're serving for an audience of one. We're not serving for everybody else. Yeah, the Lord has given us this opportunity to serve and be a part of a great movement, but we're doing it for our treasure in heaven, not treasure here. And the, the focus needs to be on that. You are only as strong as your weakest link. I know you're in it to win it, but this is a team effort. And so just calm down a little bit there. If you're growing impatient, let's build the team. 
Let's go back to what you were originally doing. Let's repeat those first works as they were so joyful to you. And uh, when you do that, you find that your joy comes back. Be patient with all. The last one here is one that I think is really good. The final problem climber is the wounded climber. And I have found there's probably more of these than anything else. The wounded climber, verse 15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what's good, both for yourselves and for all. See that no one pays back evil for evil? Uh Uh-oh. This text is implying that somebody got wronged. And you want to retaliate. You're like, vengeance is mine, says me. And I'm going to give it. I can't believe you did that. It reminds me actually of a story I heard in the news. I don't know if you guys heard this. I was cracking up when I heard it. It was a story about a cat that a baby pulled the cat's tail. Like seriously, this was in the news, all right? A baby pulled the cat's tail, and so the cat turns around and scratches the baby. The dad football kicks the, da- the cat. And so it flies across the house. Then the cat attacks the family. And so the news report read this. A raging 22-pound, which is huge, 22-pound organ house cat with a history of violence attacked a baby and trapped a family and their dog in a bedroom at their Portland home before being captured by police, authorities said on Monday. Now, besides for this guy getting his man card revoked, okay, like... A cat? A cat. Like, you just kick the cat. Like, really? I mean, throw a blanket on it or something. They trapped you in a bedroom? Like, it's a cat. It's not a mountain lion, you know? Like, really? So this cat gets his tail pulled. He gets kicked. And this cat's like, you know, like, retaliating back, you know? Like, vengeance, I'm going to get it. And this is believers. This is what happens in the church, is it not? Like, you feel wounded. You know, you have been coming and involved, but all of a sudden you feel hurt. Someone sins against you. You experience evil from someone. You didn't deserve it, but it happened. Someone betrayed you. In real life, the sun is out, the birds are singing, springtime, life is good. But then all of a sudden, that happened. It's a breakup or a separation, a divorce. Someone backstabs you like that friend, like that you had a friend and they did that. Like, really? I mean, trusted companion and that happened. Lies are told about you. Evil. I mean, again, real evil is done to you. You're left out. You're abandoned. You're wronged. You're stole from harsh words. Abuse. And you just. You don't know how to respond. Tears, real pain. It's a pain that goes beyond physical. It's this deep, emotional, God, I don't know what to do. While climbing, this person, they're quiet. They're thinking. Replaying the scenes in their mind. Listening to the words that were said. They're there just kind of trudging ahead. Pulling hard and there's aggression that's coming out. All of a sudden you're thinking, the climber, like I hope, I know they're back there, you know, and I hope they slip, you know, I, I hope they fall off the mountain and die. You know, like all of a sudden there's these, these thoughts in the climber's mind about the person that's really wounded them and hurt them and praying that God would break their teeth and their mouth, you know, like God get them and 
And it, it's real, you know, and it could be somebody even in the church, you know, you're sitting across the church from him, you know, you're like, or you come to a different service because they did that or they said that. And it's like, you know, it happens and it happens in church. It happens outside of church. It happens in marriages. It happens in relationships with friends. It happens at work. It happens. Life is full of these horrible situations where it, it happens. And the way we shouldn't respond is like that cranky old woman whose neighbors forgot to ask her to go to a picnic. And on the morning of the event, they suddenly realized they're, they're wrong. And so they sent a small boy to her house to give her a special invitation last minute to the picnic. And they arrive and the lady answers the door. Oh, no, I don't want to go to the picnic. It's too late. I've already prayed for rain. <laughs> the remedy in verse 15 for the wounded climber. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good. The remedy is grace. Grace is what fixes the issue. Grace defined is unmerited favor. It's mercy. It's getting what they don't deserve. It's returning love for evil. Now, this is really difficult to do. Almost more than anything else. It's hard to give someone what they don't deserve, especially if you've been wronged and hurt so deeply. But the Bible instructs us on how to handle these potential problem climbers to encourage them to give instead of take. Now, when I opened, I asked you to listen and see if any of these described you and your walk. And I think God includes these instructions in his word because he knows you and loves you. And he just wants to minister to your heart. And again, I think he maybe brought me out here from California for some of you. Just to remind you that he's aware. He knows. And he's going to help you through it. No matter the situation here. And we're to be looking out for each other. If you're aware of someone else going through this, you're to be there with them. Encouraging them. And I want to end by asking this question. Thinking about the lead climber. You know, the person in the lead with the climb is the one that's the pace setter. Jesus is the head of the church. He's our lead climber, all right? So he's the one up in front. He's the one that we're looking to. He's the one that's doing all the real hard work here. And I want to see, like, how does Jesus respond to each of these five individuals? How does Jesus respond to the wanderer? Well, I would say that Jesus, by his love, he drops down right alongside the wanderer, the one that's kicking dirt and throwing snowballs and not really on the team, and he warns them by his love. He probably says something to the degree of like, you know, you, the things you're doing, it, it's been paid for. I died on the cross for you because I love you. You're going to hurt yourself here. You know, I, I'm telling you not to do these things, not to hold you back from fun, but to save you from danger. Again, guardrails on the side of the mountain aren't to hold back fun. It's to keep you. It's to keep you close. And Jesus, by his love, would warn the wanderer to stay close. The worn out, Jesus would drop down beside. And by his spirit, his word, he would encourage. He would encourage the weary heart. He'd take some of that luggage and some of that weight off your shoulder. Let me have some of that. He'd pick you up probably and carry you for a little while there and say, don't lose heart. I am your strength. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Oh, Jesus, he'd be there for you. Loving you, reminding you of so many amazing promises that he has in his word for you. The weak person. Sin has got its grip on you. 
Oh, the Savior would come and he would say, you're more than a victor in me. My blood has broken the chains. Those handcuffs aren't even closed. They're open. He reminds you that that's what, that's what he accomplished on the cross. And, and as you trust in him, as you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. The worn thin climber, real impatient and gripey and grouchy and snippy snappy, he would come over and he would probably just be real patient. Say, have I not been patient with you? He'd probably remind you of the times that you've been a little out there and you've been the one that's been the trying one and he'd say, I've been patient with you. For the wounded specifically, how would Jesus handle the wounded? Well, he would tell you probably something like this. He would say, you know, they wronged you. It happened. But you should forgive. You go, no, no, not going to happen. Not going to forgive. And he would whisper, but how much have I forgiven you? How much have I forgiven you? How much have you done to me that I've wiped away, that I've not held over your head? Jesus today handles the declimbers in different ways, exactly how we need it. So we've got the wanderer, the worn out, the weak, the worn thin, and the wounded. The amazing thing about Jesus here is that when we are the ones that have wronged him, we are the ones that have done wrong. We are the ones that have sinned against Jesus and we have disobeyed all of his commandments all the time. We say we're going to do something, but we don't. We tell God, oh, I'm not going to do it anymore, but then we keep doing it. Like we're the ones that have wounded him and ultimately wound him to death. He died on the cross. But then today we got to remember that God has extended grace to us. Oh, he has led the way. He has been so kind and amazing. The gospel, oh man, the cross of Christ. That God so loved you, he came and he died for you. And by knowing him, you have the hope of heaven. Your sins are washed away. Your guilt is removed. Sin no longer has its hold on you. Oh man, Jesus is amazing. And I can't believe what he's done for us. You know, grace is what we get today. And I'm thankful that he's given us that example. You know, today I'm pretty confident there's probably somebody in here that if you were to die today, you're not confident you go to heaven. You're not right with God. You've probably been wandering and you wandered right into church, which is cool. I'm glad you're here. But you know that if you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. You know you're not in a right relationship with him. I'd like to give you in a second an opportunity to get right with Jesus. And then there's maybe some of you that you feel a little convicted. Maybe there's a secret sin. There's things you've been dabbling with and doing. And you know you've gotten astray. You've gotten away from the road you're supposed to be on. I want to give you an opportunity to maybe recommit your life to Christ. To hit the reset button so that you you know, hey, I'm back in communion with him. Not just union, but communion. So I'm going to close in a word of prayer and then I'm going to give that opportunity now. So Lord, I thank you for everyone in here. Lord, it's obvious that uh, this is an amazing church, and Pastor Tom loves and is an amazing shepherd. And I just want to say thank you, God, for that, that testimony here. But Lord, I know there are some here today that probably are not right with you. They've been maybe not doing what's right. And so I pray that right now, God, you would bring them really to a place where they get right with you. With their head bowed and their eyes closed. If you're here today and you're not confident, if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You're not in a right relationship with Jesus. But you would like 
to get right with God. You want your sin forgiven. You want to know that you'd go to heaven if you were to die. You want to enjoy this sweet communion with God. I just simply want you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer to get right with God. If that's you, you'd like to get right with God this morning, just simply raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. And then maybe as you're you're sitting there thinking about it, maybe you're here this morning and you want to recommit your life to Christ. You know, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you in this moment what's been going on in your life, and you're like, man, I need to recommit. If you'd like to recommit your life to Christ, I want you to just simply lift your hand up real quick and and put it back down. I see it. You know, go ahead and put your hands back down. God bless you. You're not the only one raising your hand. This last moment, anybody else, you know what you need to do. Here's your opportunity. Don't leave here without getting right with God. Raise your hand now if you've yet to raise it. Again, God bless you that I have. Okay, for those of you that raised your hand, I simply want you right where you're at to pray this prayer in your heart to God. You mean it as we pray it now. This is where we're now getting right with the Lord. And so pray this. It's dear Jesus. I ask you to come into my life. In a real way. I want to know you and follow you from my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Wiping away my sin. Jesus, be my God. My Savior. My best friend. I am fully committing to you. And help me pursue you for the rest of my life. Fill me with your spirit. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you that just prayed with me, I'm excited. And after service, we'd love to give you just a little few more words of encouragement. You know who you are, and so do I, so you can't escape. Um, so I just want to say that we love you, and I'm glad that you've made Calvary your home. And so, family, it's been great. And uh, I think we're going to close in a word. uh, No, no, we're going to close in worship. So how about you guys stand and let's close in worship.